когда мы прибыли в это Штутхофе, велели всех When we came to Stutthof, we were sent to the bathrooms. No, it was a bathing house. At the bathing house, they took everything away from us, even the soap, even the jam can, everything. Only the small booklet, книжечка, I was able to hold on to. I held it in my hand, just like that. Can you see? This is how I held it. This is all I have left. You are listening to For the Living and the Dead, Traces of the Holocaust, a podcast brought to you from the European Holocaust Research Infrastructure. I'm Katharina Freise. In each episode, we tell the story about an object which tells us more about the Holocaust. This time, we talk about a small memory booklet, as small as a fist, that belonged to Geta Rubanenko, who survived the Holocaust in the Kovno ghetto and later Stutthof camp. Gitta was 12 years old when her hometown of Kovno was taken over by Nazi Germany, and Kovno ghetto was established to hold Lithuanian Jews of Kaunas. In this small booklet, Gitta recorded what she witnessed. She kept it until her death in 2020. We will be able to listen to Gitta's recordings as Gitta's daughter, Hasia Mandel, and her grandchildren, Elhanan and Sharon, read and translate Gitta's recordings for us. For this episode, I'm joined by Ofa Lifshitz from the World Holocaust Remembrance Center in Jerusalem, Yad Vashem. Ofa is a content producer and editor for Yad Vashem's Gathering the Fragments project, which received the memory booklet from Gitta's daughter, who gave it to Yad Vashem for safekeeping after her mother had passed away. Ofa, welcome. Hello, Katarina. It's a pleasure to be here. Ofa, today we'll, we'll speak about a very special object. It's actually a quite tiny notebook. Could you tell us a bit more about it? This object, the, the Knizhichka, has become dear to us for three reasons. One of them is the object itself. It's, uh, it's really tiny, the size of a fist. The cover is uh, hard and in blue. And it has the Star of David right at the opening page. And it is written almost in shorthand. So there's something very touching in its simplicity. It's written in Yiddish. The second reason it's become so dear to us is the way it got to us. The director of Gathering the Fragments, Orit Neumann, received some visitors one day and out of their parcel came the Knizhichka. And these visitors were the daughter of Gita Achasia Mendel and the grandchildren, Elchanan and Sharon. And they said, we have an object that our mother, grandmother kept with her her entire life. She said that as long as she lived, she had to have it. And this was the anniversary, actually, of her passing away. Mm. They said that the, the one of the first thing they did after she had passed away was to go where they knew the Knizhichka would be and open it, open the drawer. And there it was waiting for them. The third reason why it became so dear to us and to me is the detective work, is the, is the process of discovering the Knizhichka and whatever came along with it. We found out about Gita's testimony that we heard in the beginning and this possibility of discovering the person and making her vo voice heard. And then we were also able to spot the diary of another girl who was just Gita's age, born the same year and writing a diary in the Kovna ghetto. And the second diary by Tamara taught us a lot 
about Gita. So there's actually many different reasons why this this uh, tiny little notebook is so dear to you and so dear to Yad Vashem. But who was Gita? Can you say a bit more about Gita? Gita was born on the 8th of May 1929 in Kovno, Lithuania, to a traditional Jewish family. She was uh, Her father was Chuna Feinberg or Hanan, and his wife was Feidel Feinberg. And, she, and Gita had a younger sister by the name of Schendel. And they kept a traditional Jewish lifestyle. And they lived in the traditional Jewish neighborhood called Slobodka or Viljampole, where the ghetto would later be established. Chuna Feinberg was a tailor and worked in retail. Gita went to Jewish school. And they had Jewish friends, and it was a very warm family. We could actually hear Gita's own description about her life as a child. Our parents did everything they could so that nothing would be lacking at home. It was a warm home. My grandmother lived together with us. She kept a small shop. We had everything we needed. When I look back at my childhood, I have only good memories. Gita was a very action-oriented person, very resourceful. She had a very strong intuition. She sensed when her father was killed later on in the ghetto. She washed her hair in coffee while in camp and keep clean. And she fought for a friend's life, as, as we'll later discover. After the war, she was married to a political prisoner and did everything for him. So she led a life of survival and uh, life turned her into a hero fighting for survival in everyday life. And then she sang. That's one of the touching things that we know about her. She sang all her life and she had a beautiful voice, voice and she sang in Yiddish and uh, later on operas. And she received very little schooling. She had little chance because of the war, but she was always an avid reader. And she was a very devoted mother and grandmother. Later on, her daughter, Chassia Mendel, said that she and the grandchildren were everything to her. So that made them very excited to know about the podcast and and to, don- to donate the Knizhichka to Yad Vashem. So it was a beautiful description um, of Gitta Ofa. You clearly uh, have learned a lot or know a lot about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you've already referred to, we heard from Gitta at the beginning uh, and how she refers to the, the small booklet. Why do we call it uh, Knizetska? Why don't we call it a diary or journal? This was Gitta's own language. And this gives us a sense of the person over and beyond the category. And, you know, in Russian... The, uh, the chka ending uh, is used for describing things that are smaller and for endearment, like Ofer Oferchik or Katerina Katerinichka. So this is what this document was to her. And uh, we ask ourselves what she was endearing. This is not a diary, actually, because when we look at children's diary diaries from the Holocaust period, they usually describe things and share their experiences, events that took place. And this is not what Gita did in the Knizhichka. She just made notes as if to say, this really happened. I was really there. Let's just listen to these notes that Gita took. Beautifully enough, they have been read out loud by her family, her daughter Hasia and her grandchildren Elhanan and Sharon. October, the Grosse Akte, 
28th of October, 1941. October, the great action in which 1,200 Jews were taken away, the Kovno Ghetto. October, 23rd of October, 1943. October, 3,500 Jews were taken away from the ghetto, the Kovno Ghetto. March, the Kinder Action. 27th of March, 1944. March, the Kinder's Action in the ghetto, the Kovno Ghetto. 10th of July, 1944. Nighttime, 19th day of the Hebrew month of Tammuz, the tragic death of my daily beloved father. Julia. 27th of July, 1944. July, torn away, my dearly beloved mother and little sister, Stutov concentration camp. 3rd of August, 1944. Taken away from me at the selection, my dear grandmother, Stutov concentration camp. 8th of August, 1944. August, removed from concentration camp, Stutthof to war camp. Sunday, the 8th of December, 1944. Sunday, the liquidation of the Kovno Ghetto. 23rd of January, 1945. Tuesday, January, liberated from Hitler's regime. And do we know, you've already said uh, you think it was an act of commemoration, but do we do we know why she wrote such short notes, so very factual notes? As we listen, we hear in the Zhuchka two kinds of events. We hear collective events and personal events, and, and Gita used different language for both, as we noted. And actually, she tells a story there, a story in notes. She tells her own story, and she tells about a ghetto that... Came about and that was torn apart and and it's a story of that and she does it in less than 100 words you know there's a, an anecdote about Hemingway's shortest story in six words for sale baby shoes never worn and this is precisely what Gita did in very very few words Gita was a very as we heard a very action-oriented person so a part of why it's so factual in short is is probably psychological but a, another part why, why it was so short and factual is is historical because Gita is encountering something big and responding to it. And that something big is the reality of mass murder. And we have to keep in mind historically that this is precisely where mass murder started in the German invasion into the East, Operation Barbarossa, June of 1941. These are the Aktion and the Aktias that Gita described in her and the Aktias are basically rounding up Jews and in, in sites of mass murder, killing pits and, and having them shot, sometimes uh, along with a selection or a deportation. And this is what Gita is noticing. And this is what actually started the Knizhichka because the opening event is the Grosse Aktion. So it's very difficult today to even imagine what it must have been like for a 12-year-old girl to be faced with such um, cruelty. You mentioned the Große Aktion, which was one of several uh, Aktionen. And can you just briefly say what it was? For the Jews of Kovno, the Große Aktion was a big trauma and game changer and the turning point. In the Große Aktion, all of the Jews in the Kovno ghetto were rounded up, 27,000 human beings. Then a selection took place 
and a third of the population, over 9,000 of them, were taken away and they were taken to the to a mass murder site on the next day, to the ninth fort. There they were shot. Next morning, everybody went out there, waiting. The Germans ordered people about. They had some people running one way, others the other way. People were sent either one way or the other. I did not understand what was going on. Some went right, some went left. Everybody was taken to the ninth fort, on a mountain close to the ghetto. That's where the Jews were murdered. We heard the shooting going on. We were ordered to go back home. She takes us into the play, into the minute she starts the Knizhichka with the Große Aktion, which I think speaks for itself. Then Gita mentioned, as we heard from Chasia, several uh, kinds of events. Some of them are personal and some of them are collective. And she mentioned three Aktionen. One of them was the Große Aktion. Another one is the Kinders Aktion, which, uh, and we'll hear her account of that. No, not in the we had a big bathroom at home. There was a corridor there, and a bookcase, a cabinet. The cabinet had many shelves. It was full of books. We had an Hebrew encyclopedia, huge books. My father took out the lower shelves to make a gateway. We placed the cabinet right next to the bathroom. We were able to slide into the bathroom through the gateway. The shelves and the big books were placed back. We stayed inside so that nobody would see us. During the Kinder's Aktion, all of the children living in our building were brought over by the moms to stay with us at that room. Everybody in our building had little restrooms, only we had a big bathroom. So they all stayed at our place, slid through the little secret door and sat inside very, very quietly. In the evening, when it was all over, all of the children were taken. There were no children left. There's a very, very stark um, testimony that we have here from, from Gitta, which ends on there were no children left. Do we know whether any children did actually survive? And we know that Gitta and her sister survived. So first let me say uh, uh, the Kinder's Aktion took place on the 27th and 28th of March 1944. 1,800 children and elderly were taken in this action and murdered. It was uh, not only for children, it was, so to speak, for the unproductive elements in, in the ghetto of whom the Germans couldn't benefit anything in terms of the, in terms of labor. Young uh, children and old people. Yeah. After that, the ghetto was no longer um, a community in that sense, because there were no longer families. One could visualize where one could find children in the ghetto before the Kinder's Aktion. You could find them in amazing locations. You could find uh, uh, children's children Gita's age, just around 12, acting as messengers, running to and fro between the Jewish authority and the Jewish police. You could find them working vegetable gardens and, guard, and guarding them. You could find them having hobbies like collecting, collecting uh, uh, 
branded stamps on documents. Uh, you could see them in youth movements. Um, you could see them dealing and exchanging uh, goods, and you could hear them just as Gita loved so much. You could hear them singing. We don't know how much of that uh, Gita was able to benefit from. We also know about the testimony about the about the mutual aid, because as we heard from the part in the Kinder Saktion, Gita's parents took in other children as well, not just just their daughters. Two or three hundred children were either hidden or smuggled out. One of them is our Supreme Justice, Aaron Barak. So some of them got really far later on after the war. Uh, Tamara, the other girl whose diary I was descri uh, describing, did manage to get out and live under false identity. People were, were smuggled out in potato sacks. It's a really dramatic uh, moment in ghetto life. The people living in the ghetto were actually able to document quite well how life, what life was like in the ghetto. And, and we know now know a lot about what life was like. The Jewish authorities in the ghetto, the Eltestenrat, was able to establish lectures and uh, lots of music and start an artistic project. And also there was a, a clandestine documentation project. So life in the ghetto was very rich. But the ghetto was then liquidated in July 1944. And most of the remaining Jews, I think, were deported. And Gitter's family was actually deported to the Stutthof camp. People actually prepared, prepared hideouts. The Germans went around and burned them. And this is how Gita's father was actually murdered, trying to make a hideout for his family. After the liquidation of the ghetto, Gita's mom picks the little gold that they had left and disguises it in a pot of jam and, and soap. And they're sent, they're deported to Stutthof and Gita takes the Knizhichka with her. In Stutthof, they undergo a selection and we can hear about that in Gita's own words. She said, I'd like someone from our family to stay alive. I was standing there. Tears were coming out of my eyes. I said, Mom, I want to come with you. She signaled, no, no. Don't talk and don't look this way. Take a comb and clean your hair carefully. Make sure there are no lice. Always keep your head clean. She gave me the comb and a bar of soap. And then she and my sister were taken away. During nighttime, they were burned at the crematorium. Next day, there was a smell of human flesh all over. Gita remained all by herself in Stutthof. She lost her mom, she lost her sister, as we heard. She stayed for a while with her grandmother. The, the grandmother, as we learned from the Knizhichka, is also taken in a selection. She survives, but Gita doesn't, doesn't know that until after the war. Gita has to survive and she sings for survival. We know that. And we know that she sings for the other inmates. We know that she, she was made to sing for the couples and got extra food for that. We know that she keeps clean as her mother required that she does. And we know that she did everything she could in order to survive. She also had to work. She was placed in a digging uh, anti-tank canals. So Gitta ended up 
being on her own after they were departed to Stutthof, having lost uh, her family, the rest of her family, she did have an amazing survival spirit as well. Can you say a bit more about that? This is actually very touching about Gita's story and about Gita's personality. One of the touching things is that towards the end of the war, uh, we have to keep in mind that in, in factual terms, one of the things that helped uh, Gita survive is the fact that uh, she was deported relatively late. It's, it's already the summer of, of 1944, so it's, it's a couple of months, terrible months, but it's, it's relatively towards the end. And survival runs in the family, so Gita dreams of her father. In the dream, she tells her father that she, she can no, no longer hold on, and yet her father in the dream urges her to endure, to persist, to persevere. And even in her dream, he gives her a scarf in order to, to shield her. Uh, Gita, in such a childlike way, asks her father, uh, Father, are you, are you bored being dead? So we know that surviving was the legacy of both Gita's father and Gita's mother. It, it actually, it stuck with Gita because she was later on doing the same for a friend, as we know from, from her testimony. And we can listen to her describing that in her own words. Basia, my friend, told me, Gitka, you know, that's it. I can't make it anymore. I don't want to leave. I told her, try that and I'll kill you. I'll kill you with my bare hands. When we were going through the selection, I held her in my hand. When she was asked by a German officer how she was doing, I answered for her, I'm doing just great. And we passed. She struck me, why did you do that? I wanted to die. I said, you'll get your chance, and this is how she stayed alive. I'm touched by Gita because of her survivor spirit, as we, as we said, because of the earnestness of her struggle to survive. But just the same, it is because she kept that childlike simplicity. She kept that a bit of the naivete, and I find that very touching. And yeah, she's become very dear and special to me. She gave testimony to Yad Vashem in 1988. So she was an adult looking back, remembering, while the notebook is actually um, a, a testimony of her way of coping when she was 12, coping with what happened to her. Could you tell us a bit more about how these two sources complement each other? It, it makes it possible for us to connect to both the child and the adult. It adds information because, in, in effect, one of the things that I was touched to find, the Kedushka makes it seem as if Gita's grandmother was taken away in a selection and murdered, whereas what happened later is that she uh, was miraculously saved. So it is thanks to the testimony that we know that uh, Gita got to keep her grandmother. So it adds a lot of useful information. It also um, shows quite nicely how crucial it is to bring those fragments of information together uh, and, and to have bring the puzzles together of history and see the, the big picture. Our work with objects reminded me of, of my encounter with death, so to speak. My first encounter with death was me, with my personal beloved grandmother. And, you know, 
one hears a lot about that and reads a lot about that, but it is not until I touched her after she had died that I realized what, um, I touched her hand and I suddenly my body realized what it means for someone to die. And I think objects from the Holocaust period do that. They communicate something that is bigger than words, which is why it is so important to hold on to them. We'll never know what it was to be in, in Stutthof or in the, at the Kovno ghetto, but these objects uh, give, us, give us a glance, give us just a touch of what it was to be there. And they, they provide us with that, such a meaningful human lesson about the struggle for survival, about what these people did in order to live as much as they could and to hold on to life. It's such a privilege to have them. And you know what? It's also a homage, a simple homage to these people taking care of what once was so precious to them. Why is ERI important for um, such a big organization as Yad Vashem, or also for you personally? That was the the dream of of so many Holocaust victims and survivors for everyone to work together in order to learn and remember. It would have been their vision. I think they would be so happy knowing that there is an ERI. And ERI does such an important work, bringing uh, everything uh, together and making things accessible, which is so meaningful in that field of studying the Holocaust. Uh, Because just as people, items and uh, materials have been scattered around the world, so we're very lucky to have Eri. And personally, I mean, I'm, it's always engaging and touching to hear and to, to, to discover that other people care about the, the Holocaust and about studying the Holocaust. But in the, in the context of Gita and of the Knizhichka that we made a point of, of using that term, Eri uh, is important to me because, uh, because of this reminder of being in touch with the person behind the document rather than the classification trap of seeing victims and, and survivors through categories. The Knizhichka reminds us to listen to the person. And also, I think it's important, there are many, many documents and items that fall in between the categories. They're not precisely diaries. There's something a bit different. So I think Ari gives us the opportunity of not uh, losing touch with these items that fall between categories, because if another person sending documents also finds similar in-between item, we could study together. So my point is, let's not over-categorize and be mindful of the, of the blurriness of, uh, of these categories. You really live your work in trying to give back life to those personal objects that you look after. Ufa, thank you so much for talking to us today and for sharing Gitta's story with us. Thank you. Thank you for the beautiful work that you, and professional and so full of spirit and um, humane that you're doing. It's, uh, it was really a pleasure to take part. You've been listening to For the Living and the Dead, Traces of the Holocaust, a podcast brought to you from the European Holocaust Research Infrastructure. I'm Katharina Freise. Special thanks go to Gitta's family, her daughter Hasia Mandel and her grandchildren Elchan and Sharon, as well as to Ofa Lifschitz from the World Holocaust Remembrance Center in Jerusalem, Yad Vashem. Fragments of the testimony given by Gitta are courtesy of Yad Vashem. If you would like to know more about the work of the European Holocaust Research Infrastructure, you can find us online at eri-project.eu.
that is ehri-project.eu. EWI is funded by the European Union.